This is the end Beautiful friend This is the end My only friend The end Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 147 of the Sco Show. And you probably heard some different music there to sort of start things off. And I do have to ask before we do anything else for a bit of a favor, because I'm not sure I quite have the rights to use that, technically speaking. So just keep that a little friendly little event between friends shall we okay but i felt like that was appropriate because it certainly feels like that game sunday afternoon was the beginning of the end the beginning of the end to what could have been a patriot season with a chance to perhaps turn things around with a chance to pull off the win in a week to save the season as myself and others termed it the new england patriots had this season fumble away from them. Cam Newton, perhaps on the verge of leading a touchdown drive, a game-winning drive, and perhaps reestablishing himself as the present and maybe even the future at the quarterback position for the New England Patriots, has the ball punched out of his, cl- out of his grasp. The Buffalo Bills recovered, and a cold, rainy, wet, raw afternoon in Buffalo came to a better end. Hence the song. But there's the deeper meaning of what this game might portend. Because you can imagine that over the next 24 to 48 hours, there will be many discussions about the New England Patriots, the direction of this team for 2020 and beyond, and just where we do go from here. And so today, in yet another post-game loss episode and what's shaping up to be a dismal season, we're going to take a look at where this team is and the future. We're going to look at the good, the bad, and the future here in episode 147 of the Scotia. But before we do any other your usual reminders, follow along with the hijinks on Twitter at Mark Schoolfield. Check out the work. Matt Waldman's rookie scouting portfolio, not one, not two, but three SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, and right here at Pat's Pulpit. And of course, USA Today's Touchdown Wire, where I'm working on power rankings right now. And yes, your New England Patriots, who checked in last week at 21, yeah, they're going to fall a little bit more. But that's the nature of the beast. Let's talk about the good in this game, and I think that begins and ends with the running game and the offensive line. You know, it's not like the Patriots put up A ton of offense in this game. But as described, they had a chance to win this one. They had the ball. They were in field goal range for Nick Folk. They had a chance to at least tie this game in the closing minutes, if not pull out the win. And they couldn't do it. But the fact that they got to that point was due in large part by... The offensive line. The offensive line did a tremendous job. The guys up front were great. Isaiah Wynn, Joe Tooney, David Andrews, Jack Mason, Michael Wendu. They were great throughout this contest. Now, Newton did get sacked twice. But I do believe that 
on one, if not both of those plays, he had somewhere to go with the football. The second one was that sort of play-action, double-fake type play where it looked like Ryan Izzo was the breakdown in protection. But in the passing game, I think the offensive line was relatively solid. And then in the ground game, look, Damian Harris gets you 102 yards on 16 carries. Newton gives you 9 carries for 54. Burkhead with 26. The ground game was working. This offensive line came to play today. And look, if you were to put together sort of a ideal way for this game to unfold, it would be this. You keep it close. You keep it a one-score game. You stay in that sort of neutral to positive game script type scenario where you can keep doing these things on the ground. You can keep relying on the running game. You can keep Cam Newton's legs involved. You can get Damian Harris going. And you rely on that offensive line going against a defensive front of the Buffalo Bills that wasn't that great. And they got that. They also got the one turnover you hoped for, right? You get the interception. You get pressure on, I mean, excuse me, you get a miscommunication between Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen. Diggs breaks to the outside. Allen throws to the inside. J.C. Jackson with the pick. And instead of Buffalo scoring to take perhaps a 10-3 lead or a 14-3 lead before halftime, you're able to capitalize, get a field goal, 7-6 and a half. You're feeling good about things. If you would have told me last week when I was telling anybody that would listen, look, look this is 21-10 Buffalo written all over it, that it was going to be 7-6 at the half, I would have taken that in a heartbeat. You did enough on both sides of the ball to win this game. And let's not forget, look, the conditions were ugly, but Cam Newton 15 of 25 for 174, no interceptions. It's not great, but it's not bad. It's been better. It was better. And he and Jacoby Myers seemed to be on the same page. Myers had some great catches in this game. Showed you some develop and release work off the line of scrimmage to his game. And so there was some good stuff to take away from this. Now the problem becomes this. The problem becomes good stuff, good takeaways, moral victories. Those are great in the preseason. Those are great in weeks one through four. When you're two and four, looking to avoid falling to two and five right before the trade deadline... Moral victories and good takeaways don't count for a whole heck of a lot. And that's the problem with this football team right now. And that's the moment this organization finds themselves in. Because in good conscience, how can you make the case that it's time to get, it's, there's still time to make a run here? I mean, look around the AFC right now. The division is slipping away from you. It may very well have slipped through your grasp today. And you're three games back of the final playoff spot in the Cleveland Browns. If the playoffs started right now, obviously the New England Patriots would be on the outside looking in, and they'd be in third place in the AFC East. And so it's hard to sort of sit here and make the case that, look, things are fine, they can fix it, let's, let's push on. Especially when, look, are you comfortable with where this team is making a run? You'll probably get a win next week. Look, you get the Jets Monday night. You hope to win that one. But then you get Baltimore, Houston, and Arizona. 
And that Houston matchup, that could be an iffy one. Mobile quarterbacks and all. Arizona and Baltimore certainly look good. And so that's sort of the dilemma facing them right now. I wanted to take a moment and talk about the onside kick decision because this was a huge point of contention in the Scotia Slack channel. And it's easy to fall into the trap of looking at the decision based on the result. That they didn't get it and Buffalo went right down the field and scored. And I think the easy way to sort of highlight that is if they recover it, look, Bill Belichick's a genius. The problem I have with the decision in that moment is that with the new kick rules, onside kicks are so hard to convert anyway. I mean, it's not like traditionally where the guys can get a run and head start and no, they're so hard to convert. And it's not like if you look back and watch this, it's not like a scenario where their front line in Buffalo was 25, 30 yards off the ball and wasn't expecting it at all. They were still in pretty good position to recover it, obviously, because they did. And the decision to do that after just tying the game It just reeked in the moment of a panic move when you didn't really need to make one. And because if you look at the whole cost-benefit analysis, if you if you recover, great, brilliant. If you don't, they're almost in field goal range. It was just an uncharacteristic decision in the moment, especially when you factor in the odds of converting that given the new rules for onside kicks and the Buffalo front line alignment. Now, look, if they had been showing you all day that they had no fear of an onside kick and they were 20, 25 yards off the ball and they didn't care if you tried it, then sure, do it. I get it. It boils down to this. And Charles Davis during the game said it a couple of times. He said it, we saw this a couple of different times when the Patriots would just shoot themselves in the foot, whether it's a penalty or a sack or a bad play call or whatever. On a second and eight on their third drive at the start of the second quarter, Jacoby Myers committed a false start penalty, which as a wide receiver is just head-scratching to begin with. But Charles Davis said something that we've been saying here for weeks. The margin for error for the New England Patriots right now is so slim. It's razor thin right now. And you've just made things harder on yourself because you're calling something that doesn't really have the best chance of being successful. And then to compound things, you now put your defense really behind the eight ball, a defense that also struggled to stop the run, Singletary at 86, Moss at 81 and two touchdowns. And I know I said, look, you can't really look at the result in terms of how you properly grade that. Nine plays, 45 yards, and a touchdown. Like, that's what happened. That's the result of that decision. 
and you had just fought so hard to get back into that game. Your defense had forced a three and out on the previous drive. It just seemed like a panic move and a very, very high-risk, low-reward type of play. But look, that's just me. There were a lot of people in the Slack channel that defended it, that defended that move and said, look, you know, your defense wasn't playing that well as evidenced by what just happened. Your offense isn't that great, and if you could steal a cheap possession, why not? And I understand that line of thinking. I just look at the lay of the land... When Bailey's foot hit the ball, it had a much, much lower risk of paying off for you than I think just kicking a deep, playing it straight up defense. But they kicked it. They went down the field and scored. So, I mean, that was a head-scratching decision. Some other bad things to, to point out. Obviously, look, the run defense... That's an issue. Evan Lazar tweeted during the game, and it is clear they can't set an edge right now. Other than John Simon, they can't set an edge. They just can't. And it's going to be an issue. There was poor tackling on multiple levels of the field, up front, at the second level, at the third level. And I think what's frustrating for many people is even though this team is 2-5, and five, there were still glimpses today and, you know, against Denver with the two interceptions in the fourth quarter and in some of their losses that this could have been a good team. But the cold, hard reality of November has set in. What could have been, what should have been, is not. And so now we have to figure out what to do going forward. That's the discussion on the other side of the break here in episode 147 of the Sco Show. Mark Schofield back with you now in episode 147 of the Sco Show. And where do we go from here? Is this truly the end? Are they now sellers as I believe they should be? Well, let's start with some numbers. Justice Mosqueda at J-U-M-O-S-Q on Twitter back in September put together a chart matching NFL records over the last decade with the percentage of time a team would have made the NFL's new 14-team playoff. Teams with a 2-5 and five record would make the playoffs 14% of the time. Are you, as a fan, and you obviously must be a pretty dedicated fan of the New England Patriots if you're listening to this show, are you comfortable with going forward trying to make the playoffs with a 14% chance? Or do you approach this moment in time where the Patriots currently find themselves having a 84% chance of not making the playoffs? 86, excuse me. And try to take the opportunity to evaluate your roster and perhaps put yourself in a position armed with draft capital and cap space to really revamp and retool the offense for 2021. I am of the mind sitting here 
Sunday night, November 1st, that this is a rare opportunity for the New England Patriots. This is an opportunity to remake this organization, this team, and this roster and improve it from top to bottom. Because what we have seen over the first seven games of this season is a stark reminder that Tom Brady's ability to play the quarterback position masked many sins from a talent standpoint, from a roster construction standpoint, and from an organizational decision-making standpoint. Now, I can't sit here and guarantee you that with Tom Brady at quarterback, the Patriots would be 5-2 and two right now. I, I can't make that guarantee. But I think they'd have a winning record. And I think they would have gotten a bit more out of their offense to date, particularly in the passing game, than they have right now. And again, I'm not putting this all in the lap and at the feet of Cam Newton. Cam was fairly solid today. He had the fumble, which people will remember. But as somebody that studies quarterbacks and thinks more about the quarterback position than probably anything else, I can tell you that there's some truth to the phrase that if you don't know if you have the guy, you don't have the guy. And right now, we don't know if Cam's the guy, and I think it falls into the we don't therefore have the guy category. As much as I was a fan of the Cam Newton signing, as excited as I was to see this offense develop and grow and move into a different direction with Cam Newton instead of Tom Brady, it's clear that at this point of the season, it's not working. And so the question becomes, if you don't think he's the guy, then he's not the guy. If you're not sold on it, then he's not the answer. And of course, there's a small part in the back of my mind that's thinking, man, we get a chance to really have a quarterback draft season here as Patriots fans. Something I would love to do professionally. But I think you have to look at the way this season has unfolded and everything that has happened to date Take stock of where we are and realize that it's time to get playing time for younger guys. It's time to evaluate this roster top to bottom. And as such, it is time to perhaps move some pieces. And the name that will come up time and time again over the next 48 hours is Stephon Gilmore. Because you could probably get a first round pick in return for Stephon Gilmore. Maybe a first and a late round pick. Maybe more. If you're a team that is struggling on the defensive side of the ball, needs cornerback help, like, say, the Tennessee Titans, you could perhaps say, you know, a team like the Baltimore Ravens could use some secondary help. A team like the Buffalo Bills could use some secondary help. Imagine that move. What would you be willing to pay for Stephon Gilmore? And so they should probably be able to get something good in return if they were to move him. Because let's face it, right now, if this draft were to happen right now, the Patriots would have a top 10 pick. Now, would they get into the top five without an extra first rounder to flip? Probably not. Right now, if the draft happened, they'd be picking eighth. Now, an eighth and say you make a move, we'll just say hypothetically speaking, Buffalo... 
They're picking 28th right now. An eighth and 28, how far does that get you? Maybe to six? Where Dallas is currently picking, believe it or not. So I think you have to explore that opportunity because look, this is a rare opportunity for the New England Patriots to reshape their roster. And it's an opportunity to get younger guys some much-needed playing time. I think you have something in Damian Harris. I think we saw something in Josh Uche today which will be something to build on. I think you need to sort of figure out what you have up front with some of these other younger guys. Owenu. I know Justin Heron was out today, but, you know, Froholt and some of these other younger offensive linemen, see what you have there. See what you have in guys like, you know, the other younger players on this roster that you maybe haven't gotten a chance to truly evaluate because you've been trying to piece things together. But like an Anthony Jennings, for example. What do you have there? And I know Brian Coward has played a lot, but give him even more run. You've relied, obviously, on guys like Jonathan Jones and Stephon Gilmore. Well, if you're moving those guys, Juwan Williams is going to get more run. You have to figure out what you have. But I think the moment has become, and the need and the decisions that have to happen now became clear over the course of Sunday afternoon. And so the question will obviously be well, Mark, what quarterbacks should we watch? You know the top three names Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Trey Lance. I think the next three you have to watch are Kyle Trask, Zach Wilson, and Mac Jones. I think Mac Jones would be a rather interesting, perhaps schematic fit, as would Kyle Trask. I think Zach Wilson is incredibly excited and somebody that is playing himself into second round, late first round position. And right now, with the way he plays the position, because what has been stunning to watch from Zach Wilson is his ability to make throws to all levels of the field, regardless of platform, regardless of arm slot. The arm talent, that box is checked. The athleticism is there too. And as we're seeing with guys like Justin Herbert and some of the other quarterbacks that have had good early success in this league, that is a very good starting point. But I think the New England Patriots need to set themselves up to get themselves into the quarterback sweepstakes. That's where we're at. The flip side to that, you know, the, the counter-argument to that is, look, it's just seven games. You know, they've got nine games left. A lot can happen. You know, we've seen teams rip off wins before. They're certainly going to be in a position to win a game next Monday night. When the 2-5 and five Patriots score off with the 0-8 Jets. I'm sure ESPN is psyched to have that one. Can they piece it together? Can they win a couple of games? Say they get to 3-5, and five, then you get Baltimore... Baltimore's been a bit shaky the past couple of weeks. Maybe you steal one, you get to four and five, you get Houston, you get to five and five. You could make a run. 
And the flip side to going all in on figuring out what you have on the roster and setting yourself up for draft capital in the draft is you have a ton of cap space, right? And so maybe other than going down the, let's go all in on the draft mode, you think maybe we use cap space to address the position. You know, a lot of people have said, hey, Dak Prescott will be out there. Could they make a run at Dak Prescott? Sure. Hey, Mitchell Trubisky's a free agent. Jameis Winston's a free agent. Nate Sudfeld's a free agent. C.J. Beathard's out there. I mean, there are some options. But for me, it comes down to that 14% chance. Are you willing to forego perhaps the future and the opportunity that is presenting itself right now and a chance to sort of rebuild and retool in short order for that 14% chance to make a run. I think the numbers sort of speak for themselves. But that's just me. I want to hear from you. So the next show this week is going to be full-on mailbag, period, full stop. I want to know your thoughts on what to do now. Your thoughts on what they should do at the deadline. Your thoughts on what they should do going forward. Should they punt on 2020 or not? That's what I want to hear. So send me questions, your comments, whatever. I'll get to it all Wednesday morning. Until then, friends, stay safe. Check in on your loved ones. Wash those hands. And when you do, sit along and bless those Patriots reigns down in Foxborough. No safety or service.